Hey everybody, it's DG back with another episode of The Swipe File. That's how you have to say it, The Swipe File. Anyway, to this on this episode, we have a good one for you. My guest today is Heather Zinzak. She is the CMO at Pluralsight. Uh, she spent four years as the CMO at Domo, uh, six years as the global VP of marketing at SAP, and she is just an absolute growth, demand gen marketing machine. Really fun one, this one, because we didn't just talk about the tactics, we talked about the three paths to becoming a CMO. I said, Heather, I want to know what it takes to become a CMO. And we sat down and we went through all the different paths you can take to get there. So this one's for you. If you're thinking about growing your career in marketing, want to be a CMO one day, tune in. Here's Heather Zinzak, the CMO of Pluralsight on this episode of The Swipe File. I'm super excited to talk to you because you've had a, your background is exactly why we do this show, which is like, the point is to talk to CMOs, obviously, hey, <laughs> yeah. who have like, who have seen it and who have gone through this journey. And like, I think the, the audience for this show is CMOs listen, but also everybody kind of in their career in marketing to learn about what you've done. I think you, all right, so today you're the CMO of Pluralsight. That's right. Before this, you were the, I'm just going to replay your bio. Before this, you were a CMO at Domo. That's right. Before that, you were global VP at SAP. That's right. So those are big companies. A lot of, lot of time, four, six years, four years, two years, which is amazing because in this world that we live in today, it's like most people are at a company for mm-hmm. a year. My sweet spot seems to be around five years. Yeah. Don't tell my current boss, actually. I'm only there three more well, you years. Got, that means you got three more <laughs> years, three though. More. You got two years. <laughs> so I want to go back. What I'm interested in is like your, your background is finance mm-hmm. from Texas. Mm-hmm. Is this how you do it? Finance, yeah. Go okay. Horns. Go Horns. Finance uh, and accounting. And then an MBA from Morton. Uh-huh. Which also did very you, financial. Did you think that that would be the profile like to be a CMO? Did you no. know? I ne- if you would have told me early in my career I was going to be a CMO, I, w- I wouldn't have believed you. I never actually thought I'd be in marketing. What did you think a CMO did at that time? I, I didn't even know there was a CMO. <laughs> right. I, I would have made up some letters, you know, a chief mama officer. Like, I didn't know. Um, when I graduated college, it's going to date me a little bit, um, uh, I got out with a finance and accounting degree, and I went into finance and accounting because I just love numbers. Yeah. I love math. I loved analytics. And I took a microeconomics class, which is, you know, really into the numbers and statistics. And I just thought, this is amazing, and ended up in finance and accounting. And when I graduated, the, this whole computer thing um, was just taking off, uh, and packaged software was on the rise. And I went to Anderson Consulting, which is now Accenture, because they taught people how to code. So I learned how to code. So my first job, I was an engineer. I wow. coded. And, and coding really appealed to me because it's, it's numerical, it's analytical, it's numbers-oriented. Yeah. And one thing I always talk about, how I made my way eventually to marketing, I, wouldn't, I don't think I would have been in marketing at that time, like in the early 90s, because marketing has changed so much in the last 25, 30 years. It now is very analytical, very numbers-driven, very, you know, you can test everything, you can measure everything. You know, I don't have to be, I'm not the most creative person in the room, and I don't have to be creative yeah. uh, with today's marketing. So uh, that's, and I was going to ask you about that. This is where I want to dive in a little bit, which is like, how do you, if that's your skill set, how do you think about the skill set of a CMO? Because I've seen CMOs from all different mm-hmm. kinds, right? Somebody that I look up to is um, Shannon Brayton, who's a CMO at LinkedIn. I love her. Her, be- like, just, you know, she's She'd in the high growth handbook. She's, she, she's yeah. like a calm CMO mm-hmm. and then had brought, you know, had to bring in demand gen people to be on her team. Like, 
Do you think, that, is there a right profile for a CMO? And did you think about what you needed to bring around you and with your team? Yeah, I think there's there's three things, and I'll, I'll come back to okay. Shannon in a minute because I'm a huge fan. Okay. We met at a CMO event before she was a CMO of LinkedIn. Yeah. Um, for the she, record, Shannon, I don't know you, but I would love to have you in this chair <laughs> next, all right? She's so. interesting, and she's the, uh, she has one attribute I'm going to talk about, which is okay. two that are really important. But I think there's three paths to, if you look at most CMOs, where they came from. You could come up through the product side, yep. which I did. So yep. I have a really strong product product background, product marketing strategy, and you know, coming up that way. You could come in through a hardcore demand gen. Yep. And I would argue that only in the last 10 years, demand gen has changed so much with how we generate demand. It's a very analytical data science oriented kind of path up. Yep. Or you can come over from the other side, which for me includes creative, agency, comms, brand. I love that. And I think if you're going to be successful as a CMO, no one, it's rare that someone will have come up through all of those. Like that's just not possible. So what you have to be good at is a couple things. One, know what you're not good at, uh, where your weaknesses lie and hire a team. Always one of my very first hires both at Domo and at Pluralsight, or my first person to get in is, you know, nestled in next to me on leadership is somebody wickedly creative. Mm. And I've, I had that at Domo. I have an amazing partner in Brett Barlow. He's our chief yeah. brand officer. And uh, we're just a really nice compliment. And then I think the other thing is you just have, and this is where Shannon, I would say, is you just have to be wicked smart. Like Shannon is so is really bright. And so she can pick up all those other areas and she's a leader. Right. So I think if you're somebody who has kind of a love of learning, knows your weaknesses, you know, brings in people to help you where you don't have strengths. And that that's really what it's all about. I love that. The three paths to CMO, like come up from a demand gen, come up from product marketing, come up from brand, mm-hmm. and then fill in the gaps. What is, can you say more about the the chief brand officer role? Mm-hmm. Is that at Pluralsight that's now? That's at Pluralsight. And was that role there before you were there? So Brett was at the company before I was there and he was running marketing. Yeah. And um, when I came on board, I recognized he was just this amazing individual and he had a ton of skills I didn't have. And I talked him into staying. He could have gone to be a, be a CMO at a ton of companies. He was yep. a CMO at Skullcandy. I mean, he's he has a legit record, but I was like, you know, I have this individual, and I look at what Pluralsight's going to do over the next couple years. It would be awesome to have a senior leader that is really great at that. And so uh, we crafted out this role of chief brand officer, and I talked him into staying, and it's been a little, you know almost two and a half years now, and uh, it's, it's been a good journey for the two of us. So you come in with the math and science, and then he comes in with the crazy, like, here's how we can do this thing. Yeah, and, yeah. and I think I think we push each other. Like, you know, uh, I also had an enterprise software background. That's all, you know, my 25 years, all of it's basically been in enterprise software. And Brett has more of a consumer background. So Pluralsight has a model that we sell about 20% of our business is technically B2C, but I call it B2D, business mm-hmm. to developer. And um, Brett has, you know, he's, I've learned things from him on that side. And I think he's learned a lot from me on the enterprise, you know, how to work with the Gartners and the Foresters. We put on our first enterprise user conference. Like these were things he hadn't, he hadn't done before. So it's been a good combo. So I want to talk about a couple things in there. One, let's talk about the user conference stuff first, because okay. I notice in your, in your perfectly written bio, which is your <laughs> PR team did a great job. <laughs> Uh, it seems like every place you've gone, one of the first things you do is kick off a user conference. Say more about why. About why? Like I'm asking because we've invested heavily in our conference. You spoke this year, like, and that's a key piece for us moving forward. And I think since we've done that, it's been amazing. But I'm interested in like, if you went somewhere else, not that you're leaving, you have three years left. Yeah. Um, 
what, why would you go, like, what is it about a user conference? Why would you go do that right away? Yeah, so I think a couple things, you know, having worked at Oracle and SAP, they had big user conferences, and I saw the brilliance of bringing your customers together and the loyalty and the love and the learnings. So I had I had that kind of history. And then, you know, you look at the companies who are doing this the best, like look at Salesforce and what they've done with Dreamforce. I mean, it's, it's, it's amazing mm. um, and impressive. And so for me, the things... Uh, this is why I think a user conference is so important. And somebody asked me the other day, like, well, we could spend that money on a bunch of dinners and probably make more in revenue. And it might be true at that moment in time, yeah. but a user conference, it, it, it becomes the guiding motion for the company. Uh, it's an employee rally cry. It's your product team saying, once a year, this is our big time, literally on stage mm -hmm. to, to, you know, and it, it, it pushes product schedules. It brings, for us at Pluralsight, it brings together our buyers, our end users, um, it brings together technology leaders who just want to learn, our authors, so the people that are the experts that teach um, courses on Pluralsight, they're there so you can learn from the best, and your partner community. I mean, it's all right there in this goodness um, that happens. And it's interesting because we did a campaign for our sales team this year internally. Um, we went and looked at stats, and we called it the 3X campaign. And if you had a customer who attended Pluralsight Live, you had 3X the deal size. Hmm. So three times larger. I love and that. then I went to Salesforce and I met with their the woman who runs Dreamforce for them. And even 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 Salesforce, who's, you know, I don't know how many years they've been doing Dreamforce, is you know, almost two hundred thousand people go. They run a two to three X campaign as well. They start talking about this. And I was like, what? So that's that's they, if you're in sales to get to get butts and seats, to get your prospects there or customers like for future life. So when you're talking to the sales reps, the best way to get tickets sold to a conference is to sell them on contract. Yeah. So to, in order to incent a sales rep to sell tickets on contract, because they're worried about, you know, as they should be, about, the you know, license revenue product, yeah. and, and all those things, yeah. you go to the sales rep and say, look, you know, look, Bob, if you're going to sell tickets to this, because for every customer that attends, they're going to have two, three times in plural size, three times the deal size as the people who don't attend. Yeah. You want bigger deal sizes. You want more commissions. You want more money. Send it to plural yeah. live. Dreamforce does the same thing. They have a 2x campaign they run. She said it used to be 3x. Now they've gotten bigger. It's 2x. But if you attend Dreamforce, 2x the deal size. And do they sell, are the reps selling tickets or are they giving them away as part of like you buy, you know, you buy X and then well, I'm going to throw five tickets in for your team? No, they sell. They sell them. Yeah. Have you found, is that, do you think that's an important piece of, of a conference, like selling them versus giving them away? Do you think there's a difference? Yeah, I do. I think that you look at the overall contract value and it might be that you give a discount because you occasionally may give discounts on tickets or you might give discounts on professional services yeah. or you might give a discount on the product. It's all part of the sales negotiation. So do we hold the line that you have to pay 100% full price, you know, MSRP? Mm. No, on, on Pluralsight Live tickets, not always. If, you know, we had an account the other day that wanted 100 tickets to Pluralsight Live because last year they sent 50 people uh, on their tech team and they got such value out of it. They're like, next year we want to send 100 people, you give us a discount. Well, yeah, for 100 people, we'll, <laughs> sure. we'll give you a discount. We'll fly you there, whatever yeah. you want. Yeah. <laughs> well, I don't know about that, but yeah. we'll give you a discount. And um, so I do think there is discounting, but I think there's something mentally important. There's a big difference in my mind between a free conference and a conference you pay to go to. And there's something in the mind of the person who attends. And studies have shown this. If you pay for something, even if it's a small amount, totally. you're committed. You're going to go. Like, you you put monetary value to it. Yeah. So I, I think 
There is a time and a place for free events, but your user conference is not one of them. And did you split out? You mentioned enter an enterprise customer conference. Is that did you do that separate from the Pearl site live, or you split split out a different event for enterprise, or is this a part? No, of I mean else? just businesses in general. So I use that term enterprise holistically. Yeah. Um, it is a conference, but we have, uh, you know, our developers. So our B two D, we have people who come that. Sure. They, they want to come meet the authors that they learn from every day. They want to be inspired by technologists. So we have individuals who come. I'd say that's the smallest part. And then we have users who are um, users, of, but not the buyers. And they're at you know our small accounts all the way up to our largest accounts um, in terms of size of company. So it's not just a big company conference. Yep. And then we have um, buyers. And I think you have to really think about your audience and create special experiences for them. We saw, so this is the second year that we did our conference, much bigger. We saw something similar where like, obviously not all of our customers were there, only a small percentage of them were there, but it was something like a third of our revenue for the year mm -hmm. was in the room that day, yeah. which is like, which is unbelievable. It is. When you think about the experience. And also I think to your point about if you stack up all those dinners, there's no marketability of those dinners, right? Like it's having that one day of the brand, of the buzz. Yeah, we didn't even the, talk about the brand lift you get out of it. Crazy. So your social media lift, your impressions from press, your, like we had 14 press individuals attend our conference. They all wrote multiple articles. I mean, just like it was ungodly the amount of articles that we had come at that time. Mm. You look at social media, we work closely with our vendors on amplifying our organic and a little bit of paid around that. Because if we put a little bit more paid to Twitter and Facebook and LinkedIn during that time, it gets more than paid during a time that we're not also having the lift from the conference. So there's there's a ton of goodness. Yep. What do you think for you, is there something for you, like what's the, what's the gap between CMO, VP, director, working all your way down? Like what are the different jumps that somebody has to make? Like what's the biggest difference you've seen in your, in your career? What's the what's the change, right? Like why at Pluralsight, for example, why couldn't what's um, the chief brand guy, right? He could have been he could have run marketing, but yeah. they found you. What's it, especially in the enterprise space, which is where we're in, like enterprise sales in that type of org. What what do you need out of a CMO? You know, I think there's not one straight path. So I can't tell you like, hey, you need to be a manager of this, a director of that, a VP of this, then CMO. I think if you went and talked to, you know, you mentioned Shannon, I could mention a whole bunch of other CMOs that I respect. Um, and they've all had um, differing jobs. Mm. And I actually think it's worthwhile to have positions that aren't just in marketing. You know, so I had product positions and I had engineering positions. and. I did have not had sales experience, but I think having sales experience is really valuable because they're your partner and your ally. No matter how great of a marketer you are, if the sales team doesn't hit revenue goals, you failed. Mm. You failed. Mm -hmm. And so if you don't have this great relationship with sales, and so, you know, for example, right now at Pluralsight, I lead our inside sales team uh, that cleans all the leads. So our, we call them our account development managers and our business development representatives, ADM and BDRs. You know, I, I think it's close to 100 people that clean leads for the outside team. And, you know, having sales, you know, and, and then I also run our digital revenue. So I hold a number for the amount of revenue that closes on our site, which is about a quarter of Plural Sites revenue, I own that number. Mm -hmm. Like I have a quota, I have a target on my head as a public company to making sure that we can report that out to the street. So. I think there's different jobs along the way. I don't think a straight path in marketing is always the only path. It's de definitely not the only path. I'm not even sure if it's the best path. So, 
you know, I think in the book, Lean In, they talked about how it's not a corporate ladder, it's a jungle gym. And I love that idea because I think jumping into, you know, getting really great product and thought leadership experience, whether that's on the product team or product marketing, getting really awesome digital experience, understanding what it's like to carry a number and, you know, to partner with sales, whether that's because you were in sales or you supported sales. So I think there's a lot of paths and way there. I yeah. don't think there's one. And even even if it's not spread. sales, I think like... I, I've, I think like just owning a number as in some piece of marketing, if you're in marketing, is so important to see the progression of like, hey, you're, you're going to own blog traffic, right? And your goal, you have the waterfall, you have everything you need to show blog traffic is going to show you, okay, now you've owned that. Can you then apply that same method to selling tickets for an event, right? It's like, it's a similar motion that you can learn in different pieces of marketing. Yeah, and I think I, I talk a lot about this, um, especially I've had so many CEOs contact me and be like, what should we look for in a CMO? And um, I've had a bunch of venture capital companies. I'm, I'm, in, I'm in town for a venture capital company conference and they're having me set up meetings with CEOs because they, they're like, what should I look for in a yeah. CMO? And I think the number one most important thing is somebody who can put a number in place and hit it. Yep. And, and that requires being, it requires a lot of things, but it requires being really data-driven. And it's not enough to say blog traffic because you could have the best blog traffic in the world and you don't hit sales. Yep. So who yep. cares? It has to have some input into revenue. Yeah, well, or whatever the company is trying to achieve. Mm-hmm. It might be that your company is like, hey, revenue is, is blowing the doors, you're doing great on demand, but it's all about getting customers to adopt the product more and use this new feature. Or So you have to sit really, and one of the things I introduced when I joined Pluralsight, which they didn't really have this motion, was being super data-driven. So we created an ops team and reporting and we set budgets and we set targets for the year and then we we hold we have a weekly stand up where people have 5 minutes to share their numbers and you get one slide just numbers of how your business is doing and it better be numbers that everybody cares about mm. so um, i think that's probably the most important skill in today's CMO is to set a goal that's going to make an impact on the company needle and be able to prove that they've hit it i love that is a daily stand up a plural site thing you got you do that mm-hmm. today we, we call it, it's, it's a stand-up, but they're actually weekly. Weekly. Yeah. So you have to get up in front of all the rest of the leadership team and say, here's where we're at in marketing. Oh, no, this was within my marketing leadership team. Oh, marketing team. team does it. Yeah, so I host a weekly stand-up with the marketing leaders, and they bring in different people from their team. So awesome. the digital, you know, digital gets five minutes to stand up, and one week it might be the person who runs webinars. One week it might be the person who's running all of our content and showing how content is performing. Last week it was the person who runs our B to C to B program. Talk, uh, the week before that it was our account-based marketing lead. And they it, and it's it's not... But it started out where the people were building these like 20 slide presentations and they took 20 minutes. And I was like, this isn't a stand up. Like who wants to stand up through a 20 minute presentation? Like I want one slide. You get five to 10 pieces of data. I want to know the data on how your business is doing. And have you found that, that is that a helpful motion for you as like the marketing leader to get a sense of like what everybody's doing, how the team is feeling as opposed to having to go through the, you know, whatever it takes to meet with everybody or? We do, we do the 20, so it's, it's one tactic in a broader, a broader program I have. So it starts with me identifying the goals for the year, reporting them to my CEO, and they have to be things that the company cares about. Then we do a whole process for budget to tie to those, and there's targets. And I have pipeline targets, I have revenue targets. And then we assign budget, all that at a granular level. And then we assign that out to the team Mm. so that, you know, my person who runs uh, social media on B2B paid, 
they have a budget, they have a pipeline target, they have to report on that. It goes all the way down to that level. And then, you know, it's part of the process of reporting back on that and how we're doing. I can't just look at, I do look at, like, weekly, the, how we start this meeting off is, how are we doing on overall pipeline? How's EMEA doing? How's the U.S. doing? How's enterprise doing versus commercial? You know, we, we look at the aggregate level. How does marketing versus sales generated? And, we, and then we go into the details. I think it's part of a bigger motion of being data-driven yeah. organization. And it, pr- it probably is an easy way to give everybody ownership, right? Like, you own this piece of, and, it, and everybody's kind of has a shared metric. If it's pipeline, mm-hmm. then you don't have social par- person talking about this thing mm-hmm. and content person talking about this thing. Yeah. Everybody has some slice of that. Like, I don't care how many, oh, I, I do care, but I don't really care how many people attend to the webinar. I care how much pipeline was at the webinar right. and how, mu- how much pipeline you influenced and right. how much new pipeline do we generate out of that webinar. How do you, how do you gil- go about getting your team the tools to do all that stuff? Because, like, my guess is the person who's running social or you hire some new person to run social, they might not know how to go and find out how much pipeline is influenced. Like, they're probably great at social but not great at that piece or the, the person who runs webinars might be great at content and storytelling but not great at that piece. How, have you found a way to, like, get that thing repeatable yeah so that's kind of i was trying to say earlier like the stand-up in itself isn't yeah. helpful right. unless you have the motion so it starts with me yeah setting the goals and and then working with our finance team to be honest with you so the cfo is the cmo's in some ways best friend yep. slash friend enemy yeah <laughs> frenemies we love um, you just i'm just saying dv and jim we just Right now we're heavy in 2019 planning, and so it's all love. Yeah. It's so all we've, love. We've set tar- <laughs> so we've already worked with head of sales yep. and sales ops, uh, CFO's office and marketing to say, what are the revenue targets by very granular things, new net revenue, renew net revenue, um, geographically, EMEA versus yeah. US, commercial versus enterprise. They set all those targets. Yeah. Then we do a model that says how much pipeline. Then we argue over how much is marketing going to create versus sales. All that's already set for 2019 for Pluralsight. Yep. So then I take that, and then also how much budget am I going to get? Yep. And that's already been given. And then I take all of that and go back to the team and work with them. We've been given this much money. We have to deliver this much pipeline, and it has to be split up this way. Now you guys, we're gonna we at the macro level. How much are we gonna do on digital? How much is gonna go to field? How much is comms, analyst relations? We kind of do the macro, and then they have to come back with plans that are gonna hit their targets. And with that money, they each get targets. Mm. So you have to build a whole motion. And then the second thing you have to do is you, we invested in a team that has the data and the analytics and the reporting so that all of those people have that. Awesome. And and is that centralized? Like, does Mark, do you have market, do they sit with you in, like, you have marketing ops that sits on your team? So we did have it within marketing yeah. op, and we organized operations at the company level. Cool. So we have a strategy and business operations team that I have dedicated people in that group. They're still part of my headcount. So I am accountable to how much I invest in that or don't invest in that. I I own that, like, they're they're still my cost center, but they sit centrally because it would really not be great if I walked in with numbers from marketing ops on reporting that sales had different numbers. So the operations and the reporting is all within one group, and we work off one song sheet. Love that. I feel like we could just geek out on all this marketing stuff, <laughs> but um, you got lots of things to do. So what, one thing, as we wrap up, I want to talk about org structure. Okay. Do you have a do you have a playbook as a CMO now? Like you know, SAP to Domo to Plural Site. Do you have a playbook, or if you got a new job in five years or two years or whatever it is, right? Would you create something new based on what the company needs, or like do you have a playbook of how you how you run a marketing org and and what kind of the staple roles are? 
think it's a combination. You know, marketing has changed so much every year. It gets it's different. You've got to be nimble with that, and your org has to be nimble. There's there's roles I have now that are really important that I didn't have at Domo, as an example. And it's just part of it was my learning, and part of it is the journey that marketing is taking. But I think there are some standard things that, uh, yeah, that you your experience tells you, like. You know you want to have an amazing, you know, comms team. Yep. Well, let's start at the beginning. Product marketing starts it off. You don't know who your buyer is and how to talk to them and all that. You need an amazing comm team. You need kick-ass brand and content to put your marketing programs together. You got to have digital. I actually believe the field team is one of the most important. It's like we went too far digital, mm. um, and the field team actually gets you the most revenue. Yeah. Like they working with your, your your field marketing team with your field sales, like it's one of the most lucrative things, and it kind of became the redheaded stepchild for a few years. Everybody was so excited about all the stuff you could do digital. So I think there are, and I actually believe the CMO should run the team that cleans the pipe. They should own the whole top of the funnel. So your ADM or BDR or whatever acronym you have for those guys that bang the phones and clean the leads, sure. guys and gals. Yeah, and you have hundred you have hundreds of them. No, we don't okay. have hundreds. We okay. have um, under a hundred. Okay. But it, it's you know I think the uh, ADM that, that has to get done manually. No, cleaning so, leads or no no no. Okay. It's it's a combo. So the if you look at your pipeline, the yeah. first cut is a is a is a a clean digitally. Yeah. And and just on data. Like, just what came in. Yeah, just what came in, and yeah. you you go in and clean, and like, is this a you know is Daffy Duck at you know, if this is a real email address, <laughs> this is a real phone number, like, yeah. so you can do some clean. Then you tie yeah. it to your accounts and Salesforce. Like, does do we already have this person? Are they an account we can tie? Like, you can do all that with data cleansing. You can augment that with information. Then you start to put them in nurture tracks, and yep. you do that digitally, and they bubble up if yep. they don't, you know, if if. If you know the CTO of the largest company we're going after comes in, I'm not going to nurture him and bubble him up if somebody's calling him right now. But ev- yeah. yeah, but everybody and, else and that layer, whatever whatever you call them, BDR, SDR, whatever, they own that piece, like enrolling no. them or they uh, clean no. it and so then pass we, it. No, so we so in marketing we have lead scoring. We put a ton of extra information around. Then we lead score based on that lead score. It will either go straight to somebody to call, which is very rare. Most likely, it will go through some kind of a nurture track and it will have to bump up its score until it's like, hey. That lead is now scored good enough. Somebody can call it. Awesome. Um, and then you have your team that mines your database of leads that have, you know, uh, gone to the database. They've been nurtured and nothing happened. And the BDRs can go in and pull any of that. And we create campaigns for them. And they're the outbound team. Mm-hmm. So we have both an inbound and an outbound. So nurture runs out at some point, 60 days, 90 days, mm-hmm. a year, whatever it is. And then the BD, then they can go dig into that pool mm-hmm. of people. They can mine it. Who and writes, we help them Who writes it. all the nurture copy? Uh, this is an interesting discussion. It's yeah. been at every company different. Um, I believe you have to have standard nurture tracks. By like persona and... Yeah, by persona, by industry, by level, by all kinds of things. And marketing writes those. Once you get into an ADM sequence, so say you've gone through the nurture track and now um, your SDR, ADM, whatever is going to... they bubbled up as a good enough lead to call. Who creates their emails? Mm. And so one that's always kind of the, the friction. So we've said, look, if you're going to do a one-off email, if you're going to take the time, write it yourself. If you're going to put somebody into a sequence, we'll recommend sequences for you, and you can make tweaks and adjustments. Awesome. And then we go in and spot check that. Yeah. And we have found some you know, egregious behavior and tweaks and adjustments. So you've got to be pretty good on monitoring Do you own the it. performance of those emails like as yes. a marketer? Mm-hmm. So you can say, hey, we're going to automate these because... Mm-hmm. And I own everything to the point where an outside rep who can actually get the contract signed 
creates it as an opportunity. So awesome. I own everything at the top. So of in an model. ideal world, the sales rep either their job is to is to have a meeting. Yes. Uh, well, no. Their their job is to have a meeting, and out of that meeting, to say, yes, I'm gonna uh, this meeting I had, I'm gonna make an opportunity out of it. And when in when he or she says, yeah, this has you know whatever metrics you know budget authority need to whatever they. Say yeah, yeah. I'm gonna, and and when that sales rep more importantly says this is such a good opportunity, I'm willing for my boss to hold me accountable to closing yeah. it. I'm going to put it in my pipe. That's when the marketing. That's when I no longer not that I no longer feel accountable, but I've generated pipeline. This is amazing. This is an MBA. <laughs> this is your MBA in marketing and ops, uh, Heather. Thank you for doing this. Excellent. I appreciate it. Yeah, that's it. Cool. We're out of here. Excellent. Thank you for doing Thanks. it. That was awesome. I, I appreciate, appreciate it. it. Thank you. <laughs> Thanks for listening to this episode of The Swipe File. If you like the podcast, make sure to subscribe, leave a review, text your friends, tell your mother, do whatever you want to do. It'd be awesome if you helped spread the word about the show. But I have a little special for you because you're listening to my podcast. If you go to drift.ly, drift.ly slash Steve, you will see a six-minute video that I made that is about Steve Jobs' storytelling secrets, and you can get it all for free. Plus, if you sign up there, you will unlock this crazy new thing that we're building behind the scenes called Drift Insider, where we're going to give you some of our best content exclusively. So go and check it out. The way, the secret way to get on this list right now is to go to drift.ly slash Steve. You have to watch the first video and you'll be able to get the rest when they all come out. Check it out. If not, check it out soon and I'll see you in the next episode.